improvement set. Here it comes. And uh, in a minute, we'll have Wilson up there. And I want to talk to you today about something that I know we all deal with one level or another. Even if you're single, you're in relationships. And those relationships have conflicts because you are human. And so let's look again at Psalms 101. It's kind of been our hallmark verse uh, for this series. And uh, this is David saying, I want to see revival. Let it begin at home. So he says, I'm finding my way down the road. This is the message Bible. I'm finding my way down the road of right living. But how long before you show up? I'm doing the very best I can and I'm doing it where everybody. So he look, he says, I'm, I'm looking for you, Lord, to show up. And I know that if I'm going to experience you really showing up in my life, it needs to begin at home. I'm doing it at home where it counts. Now let's go to Ephesians. Let me read a couple of passages out of Ephesians. Look what he says. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, these passages, put them in the context of the home. Lord, don't let any corrupt word proceed out of my mouth in the home. But what is good for for edification in my household? That those who listen to me at home will be edified by what I say. How important is that? So Lord, we just thank you and I pray today that you will invade our homes with the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God will permeate our dwellings, that we will experience God in the house. God in the house. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, touch my home, my marriage, my singleness, touch it. And may Jesus permeate the atmosphere of my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God in the house. And you can be seated. And I want to thank all the parents here for keeping your children seated. Thank you so much. Uh, In the second service, we kind of had a little bit of an issue of kids jumping up and down and running around. And so I'm asking the parents to keep them seated because, well, several reasons, but mainly it's distracting. And some people have come through mud to get here today. And so I want to encourage you to take care of them. If you've got a baby and it acts up, take it out back, minister to that baby, and then come back in. I'm going to tell you, this didn't happen in the first one. I knew he would come alive eventually. What, Wilson? Did I have a fight with my wife? Not, not recently. <laughs> Tell me, Wilson, what do you think of Jesus? Well, you know, I was thinking about his other sister, but you know, he doesn't have much good to say about him. Jesus doesn't? Yes, he does. Wait a minute. I don't think they can hear you. <laughs> well, Jesus said that I've come to give you my peace. So when I have an argument with my wife, which occasionally I do, I always think about what he has to say. 
And I think that it is his peace that comes over me when I don't feel very peaceful with my wife. Well, thank you, Wilson. I've always wanted Wilson to say something from Jesus. <laughs> he looks like Wilson. I got to tell you, that did a number on me. Because in the first service, it was just this guy. You never know what this staff is going to do. You never know. All right. Well, we've been talking about uh, several things the last few weeks. Home improvement. Because the home is under attack. We've addressed the danger of anger in the home. How dangerous it is to have an angry person in the home. Got to handle the anger. And the importance of listening wisely. Being a wise listener. Listening for what the real issue is and not the surface issue. And then we talked about talking wisely, using your speech wisely in the home. Because words are powerful. Death and life are in the power of what you say. And then today, I want to deal with how to have a good fight because the greatest book of wisdom and philosophy in the entire world, which is this book right here, the Bible, greatest philosophy book, it'll not only lead you to salvation, but it is the greatest book for life and living in the world. It is filled with the wisdom of God. And God has uh, put in his word all kinds of principles that teach us how to have a good disagreement. Now, Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. There is a good fight and there is a bad fight. A bad fight does not work the righteousness of God. It doesn't settle anything. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't fix anything. A good fight, you can have one with the wisdom of God, guiding and directing it where things are actually solved, fixed, repaired, put on a good path, and you can move along with God's peace afterwards. So we're going to look today at how to have a good fight. Now, it's no surprise to any of you here today that the American family is under vicious attack. I want you to consider the following. In 1903, a century ago and some change, 1903, the divorce rate was one out of 100 marriages in 1903. One century later, 2003, the divorce rate was up about 53%, or roughly one out of two called it quits, walked to court, drove to court, fought to court, and ended it. Now those stats say to me, Jesus help us. Because the home is the foundation of any culture. And if the home is destroyed, the culture is destroyed. It's that simple. Now the last couple of weeks we've seen that the mother load of trouble in the home can be laid at the feet of faulty communication. It all comes down to how you communicate. Faulty communication produces all kinds of turmoil in the home. I've told you before, I'll tell you again today, that I tell my staff a lot that 98% of church problems aren't problems at all. They are communication issues. And when you get to the bottom of the communication, you find that that's what's causing the turmoil, not what you thought the problem was. And it's the same in the home. Most home problems are communication-based. So we've got to learn how to be good communicators. And if you haven't been here the last few weeks 
and heard uh, what we've shared so far, I really encourage you to grab those CDs. It'll be worth your time because we talk about communication every week. But it's a fact that couples argue, even couples that are deeply in love. Good old Shakespeare said, the course of true love never did run smooth. It doesn't. And I want to tell you today, there are three ways you can respond in a disagreement to each other. There's three ways you can respond. Clamming up, blowing up, or wising up. One of those three. You can deny the problem, act like it's not there, clam up, keep it to yourself, not talk about things, but eventually it's going to blow. Or you can blow up. Maybe you're one of these people that when things get tense, you just explode. Well, that's not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is that we wise up, that we learn how to handle a disagreement in the home in a way that brings peace and resolve and solutions. I found it interesting that a research team at the University of Denver identified two factors as they studied marriages that accurately predict whether a marriage is going to survive or fail. And what they looked at was this, not whether a couple argues, but how the couple argues. Because every couple is going to have a disagreement somewhere along the way. They were concerned with not whether it happened, but how it happened, how the two players involved handled the disagreement. And two factors rose to the top that proved to be especially dangerous to that marriage. Here they are. The first was escalation. Escalation occurs when a person says something negative and their spouse responds in kind with an even harsher statement. This leads to an argument that only spirals down to greater levels of anger and frustration. Oh yeah, will you say that to me? Well, I can give you worse. And there you go, and it's a fist fight, and the gloves are off. Now this is especially dangerous. One of the partners finally says something like this. Well, if that's the way you feel, maybe I should just move out. And the other one says, well, I think I know where the suitcase is. And it escalates. So everybody say with me, escalation. They found that to be one of the great indicators of a future divorce. And here's the second one. The second deadly factor was invalidation. This is so important because this has to do with the words we speak to each other. Watch this. This means putting each other down calling one another names, or making personal comments or insults about the other. You invalidate the other person with put-downs. Well, you're just a this, and you're just a that. You're just like your mama. Well, you're just like your dad. And on and on it goes, and it escalates, and then you begin invalidating and shooting them down and ruining their self-worth and ruining their sense of value. So instead of escalating or invalidating or clamming up or blowing up, let's wise up and see what the Bible says about how to have a good argument, a good fight, a good disagreement. Here they are. And if I were you, I would write these down. You may want to go back to them. You probably will go back to them. I hope you go back to them. Here they are. First, don't let problems simmer. This is the clamming up part. Don't let problems simmer. Because if you let something simmer, here's what you're doing. You're not talking about it. 
And because you're not talking about it, it's deep down inside like a volcano. As a matter of fact, a simmering problem is like a firecracker that though the fuse be long, it will sooner or later explode. Problems don't just go away. Problems are solved. Problems don't go away. They are fixed. Problems don't go away. They are resolved. The Bible says, instead of letting something simmer, it says in Ephesians 4, 25, therefore let each of you or each of you must put off falsehood, must put off falsehood in the home. Don't go around saying, no, there's nothing wrong when something is. Don't say I'm okay when you're not. The Bible says that church people, Christian people, those that love the Lord should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. And there's no closer neighbor than those you live with. For we are all members of one body. And I could change that and say we are all members of one family. So the Bible, instead of letting something simmer, the Bible encourages speak truthfully. We're commanded to speak truthfully to each other. It may be harder on the front end, and it, may, and it is, because you've got to get your courage up and say, we're going to have to talk about this. We've got to talk about, we've got an issue we need to discuss. Instead of ducking and dodging and denying and hiding and putting your head in the ground like an ostrich, we're going to talk this through. It may be more difficult on the front end, but believe me, if you don't do it, it's more difficult on the back end. Because it will pop up and it will cause a problem. Listen, have no secrets from each other. Speak the truth with each other. Now here's the next thing. Second, choose your battles wisely. You've probably seen the prayer that says, grant me the wisdom to accept the things that I cannot change. I think that's a prayer for marriages and for homes. Help me, Lord, to have the wisdom to accept the things that I cannot change, or let me just add a little bit to it, that don't really need to be changed. One of the major challenges of marriage is learning what can and should be changed and what should be overlooked. What can you live with and what can't you live with? Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. We can make a big deal out of small things and in the process ruin our relationship. You know, Jesus talked about straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. You can strain at a small thing. You can make a big deal out of a small thing, straining at a gnat, and you can swallow the camel, ruin our relationship by straining at that gnat. There are some things we need to leave alone. Church theologian Augustine left us a great little formula for peace in the church, and I think it's also good for peace in the home. Here's what he said. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In everything, charity. That's good stuff. Now, catch that. In essentials, you got to have unity. The essentials for any Christian home would be honoring the Lord Jesus in the home, prayer, church attendance. Those are essentials. Those are non-negotiables. Those are things that you cannot blink at. If they're taking place in your home, uh, it would be an essential to not allow sin to dominate in a Christian home. That's an essential. That's a non-negotiable. But there's all kinds of non-essentials we fight about all the time. Non-essentials will be the 90% of things that couples bicker about that should be overlooked. The way your partner makes the bed or clears the table or butters the toast or doesn't butter the toast or flips the eggs. Those little mannerisms that bug or irritate you. 
And you allow that to become a fight when the Bible says, overlook it, overlook it, overlook it. Choose your battles wisely. Don't let the small stuff become fodder for a fight. The Bible says sensible people control their temper and they earn respect by overlooking faults. The Bible says that the glory of a man is to overlook a transgression. So there are some things, listen, just overlook it. Just smile and look the other way. Leave their socks on the floor. Don't clean them up, up after themselves. Uh, just little things that just, you say, I, if they do it one more time, it's going to drive me nuts. Overlook it. It's a small thing. Don't strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Amen? Say with me, overlook it. And then third, don't say everything you think. <laughs> if, if you want to have a good fight, <laughs> I can tell you, if you want to have a bad fight, say everything you think. But if you want to have a good fight, don't say everything you think. The Bible warns when words are many, sin is not absent. Somebody said once, and I love this, never pass up an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. There are some things that are better left unsaid, at least at the moment. Now, I told you in the first point, speak the truth. But now I'm going to balance that out. Speak the truth with wisdom. The Bible says, listen to this. You didn't know this was in the Bible. I'll bet you. A fool utters all his mind. But a wise man keeps it in till afterwards. Keeps it in for a better moment. Uses wisdom and when they're truthful, how they're truthful, what their tone is, how they come over with it. The fool blurts out whatever is in his heart without thinking about the manner in which he says it. Without thinking about the way it will be received. Without thinking about whether this is the time or the setting to bring it up without thinking about whether or not the recipient is mature enough to handle what you're about to share. A person of understanding doesn't speak all of their heart until the right time. The Bible says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in frames of silver. Fitly would mean a word spoken, spoken with wisdom at the right time, in the right way, with the right measure. Well, I'm just being honest, Pastor Jeff. Well, use wisdom with your honesty. There's nothing sacred about unrehearsed, unwise honesty. Wrap it in wisdom if you want to have a good fight. Can they handle this right now? Should I say this right now? I'm going to measure my words. I'm going to use wisdom. Now, fourth, state your feelings very clearly. Listen, this is so important. State your feelings clearly. Most anger comes from feelings of either fear or hurt. You can walk in and your spouse can be mad, claying things around, banging things around, speaking to you sharply. What's the matter? I just had a bad day. Do you know that most of the time when they say that, that's not why they're that way? There's the stated reason and there's the real reason. So you say, rather than going into character assassination or the blame game, or yelling at each other, or really say, well, if you're going to yell at me, I'm going to yell at you. If you want to have a fight, I'm, I'm here. I'm in the ring with you. You say, tell me, let, let's sit down for a second. Tell me why you're feeling the way you're feeling. 
Let me give you a for instance. The wife says to the husband, when you're on the road and you don't call, I feel lonely and I feel rejected. And that's why I'm mad. And that's why I'm barking at you. And that's why I'm nagging. I'm not just doing it to do it, but if you really want to know, that's the reason. Or here's another example. When you leave in the morning without kissing me goodbye, it makes me feel insecure about your feelings. So that's why I'm mad. That's why I'm kind of distracted. See, the Bible says that the wise man will draw the truth out of somebody's heart. It's a matter of sitting down and listening and saying, what's the real issue? Why are you really angry? What's, what's going on with you? Stating why you feel the way you do will keep the disagreement on the right track so you're not chasing rabbits. Let's be sure we're dealing with the real issue here and not the surface issue. So state your feelings clearly, right up front. Here's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Next, make a conscious decision to keep anger under control. As soon as the volume level rises, that discussion is over with. Because if you're going to start screaming and yelling and raising your voice and threatening and making accusations, it's over. There is no healing, no resolve, no fixing it. You have now gone off into the flesh. So you've got to make a conscious decision to keep anger under control. In your anger, the Bible says, do not sin. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Lay it down. Put it down. Don't let your anger get the best of you. Say this to yourself. I will not empower anybody to make me angry. You can do what you want, but you can't make me get angry at you. If I fly off the handle and lose my temper and begin to scream and yell, I'm the one who gave in and I'm the one who's doing it. Nobody has the power to make you angry unless you let them. So say to yourself at the beginning of the discussion, no matter what is said, no matter where this goes, I am not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. Remember what James said, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everybody should be very quick to listen, very slow to speak, and very slow to become angry. Proverbs 15 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. If you stay calm, guess what? It'll, it'll go calm. But if you blow it, that's where it's going to go. Sixth, don't dwell on downers. Don't dwell on downers. The Bible says, get rid of all bitterness. And why do I quote that verse? Because bitterness causes us to resurrect old, unresolved issues. And when we resurrect them, you've got a corpse standing in the middle of that argument with you that you said you forgave, you said that it was buried, but now you've resurrected from the dead an issue that should have been forgiven, forgotten for good. Now, you know what we're going to do at the end of this service? We're going to have a funeral. We had it in the first service. People were weeping, crying. God touched them. He said, what do you mean a funeral? We're going to bury old offenses that never need to be resurrected again. We're going to, we're going to say, I forgive it. I forget it for good. Can you say with me? Forgiven, forgotten, for good. But see, when you dwell on downers in the middle of a, of a disagreement, then that thing is going to go south. That discussion is going to go bad. It's going to end up in a bad argument. 
Bitterness causes us to resurrect those old things, but wisdom, on the other hand, teaches us to stick closely to the relevant issues and end the fight. If you look at unhappy couples, they turn every spat into a slippery slope of one unkind word that leads to another. Let me give you for an instance. He says, well, I guess my mistake was looking forward to a nice dinner. She says, well, if you came home on time, you might have gotten one. You care more about your job than me. He replies, well, somebody's got to make a living. She says, yeah, well, don't complain, dude. It was me that worked like a dog to put you through school. (laughs) And now where is this thing going? That kind of arguing, listen, is one of the strongest predictors of divorce. Because you're not dealing with an issue. You're pointing, you're blaming, you're resurrecting old corpses out of the grave. You're bringing stuff into it that has nothing to do with the real issue. These couples veer off into heated, unproductive fighting over old, unresolved issues. And they resolve nothing. And negative feelings rage. The tension in that home is so thick you could cut it with a butter knife. We want God in the house. Let me say that again. We want God in the house. In stable marriages, good marriages, the other partner won't always retaliate when provoked. But what they do, they find ways to diffuse the tension, to let the air out of the tire. If you dwell on downers, you're eventually going to sink. So don't dwell on downers. Next, you got to give up put downs. Give up put-downs. Listen to what the Bible says. I'm going to quote a verse out of Ephesians 4 and think of this in context of the home where we want God in the house. Watch this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth in the home. But only what is helpful for building others up in the home. According to their needs. What do they need? Then you ought to be speaking to that need to build them up that it may benefit those who listen or edify those who listen in the home see if it starts in the home we bring revival into the church i said if it starts in the home if we got this kind of stuff going on at the home what are we going to bring bring in these doors here we're going to bring joy we're going to bring peace we're going to bring victory we're going to bring rest that's why we want god in the house We want God permeating the house. We want God permeating the marriages, God permeating the parent-child relationship. We want worship in the house. We want the joy of the Lord in the house. We want worship music in the house. We want Jesus to feel right at home walking into our house. We want Jesus in the house. Where, boy, you want to go home. You can't wait to get there because there's going to be an atmosphere. There's there's going to be a sense of God there. One of the sad facts about close relationships is we treat the ones we love worse than we treat just about anybody else. Put downs are especially lethal when they attack an Achilles heel. What's an Achilles heel? It's a soft spot. It's a sensitive area, a touchy subject that brings painful memories Like if your spouse in high school days was called egghead and it really hurt them 
and they told you that to this day, I can't stand that word. You know what you do when you get into a fight. Well, let me tell you, egghead. Because now the swords are out. Now the gloves are off and you're looking for whatever you can to draw blood. So you use the Achilles heel. But listen to what the Bible says. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So avoid put downs. And then learn to call a ceasefire. Learn to call a ceasefire. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Because if you let the sun go down, you've got a disagreement. Tempers rise. It becomes heated. There's friction. You need to learn to be able to say, you know what? I sense this is not going to a good place. Let's take a walk. Ceasefire, truce, time out, and get up and walk away before you say things or do things you can never get back. Call a ceasefire. Because the Bible says that if you go to bed mad, And you don't handle the offense. You give place to the devil. The word place there is the Greek word topos, and that means geography, land. If you go to bed angry, unforgiving, bitter, shouting at each other, shut off from each other now, eventually, if you don't learn to handle it, if you go to bed that way and wake up that way, then those feelings become solidified petrified, fossilized, set in your spirit so that you learn to live with it and walk around with it and you become acclimated to it. And before long, you wake up and you're living with a stranger sharing the same mortgage. You're living with a stranger paying the same bills. You're just roommates paying off a house. You don't know each other anymore. You're not sharing life together. You're sharing a mortgage, but not life. You're sharing raising children, but not life. You're sharing the the, the cares of of a household, but, but you're not sharing life together because now you're strangers. I don't know who you are anymore. How has that happened? How did you become a stranger to me? I went to bed mad. I went to bed angry. I went to bed bitter. And I stayed that way and I kept going to bed that way. You gave geography to the devil. where he was able to come in and put a tent on that little plot of land. And then he was able to build a house on that little plot of land. And then it becomes a castle, which is what a stronghold is. It's a castle. And God's got to bring a wrecking ball and take that thing down. And how can you, how can you bring that castle down? How can you destroy that castle? How can you take that land back? By forgiveness. It's real simple. The wrecking ball is called forgiveness. It's called apologize. It's called forgiveness. The wrecking ball, listen, it's the wrecking ball that Satan fears most. Because you can have a huge castle. When the Bible uses the word stronghold, the weapons of our our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, and the pulling down of strongholds, that word stronghold in the Greek language means castle. It's a castle, and inside the castle is the enemy. And he's ruling your life from that castle. And how can you bring that castle down? Three words. Are you ready? I forgive you. Here comes the wrecking ball. Whoo, bam. The castle shakes. 
Satan says, you can't do that. Oh, I think I'm going to say it again. Bam! Satan says, oh, please don't say that anymore. Stay mad. Don't you remember what they did, what they said? Come on now. Hang on to it. Don't give up. Keep your pride. I forgive them. Wham! And the castle shakes and falls, and the devil that was in it has to scurry away. (laughs) Apologize and apologize quickly. If you say something you ought not say, apologize and apologize quickly. Be the first one to lower your pride. Say, well, when they apologize, I will. Well, there you go. No, you be the first one to do it. Be the one to say, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said what I said. I shouldn't have did. I've done what I did. I shouldn't have done it. It was a mistake. That, that's my part. It was my fault. And I'm really sorry. And, and apologize. And don't go to sleep any other way. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. We want God in the house. I'm exposing today the devices and the instruments and the weaponry that Satan uses to take your house from you and your relationships from you. We're exposing him and we're bringing wisdom to bear so that God can be in the house. Peace and joy and Jesus honored and lifted up and praised and worship and everybody's walking around happy and not burdened down by constant troubles and arguing and dissension and division. So here they are. Say them with me. Don't let problems simmer. Choose your battles wisely. Don't say everything you think. State your feelings clearly. Keep anger under control. Don't dwell on downers. Give up put downs. Learn to call a ceasefire and apologize. Can we stand up together? I was telling the first service, um, Kathy and I really had to learn these things. She's strong-willed. I was strong-willed. That made for some good, hearty Jesus disagreements. And We've learned, you know what? Just break and break quick. Break and break quick. There's no reason for two people in the same house to be at odds with each other over any long period of time. It's not God's wisdom. It's not his will. We're going to have a funeral right now. And I want you to think for a moment. You know what it is already if this is in your home. But there is that issue. Or maybe it's more than one. But in a disagreement, it always comes up. It's always raised from the dead. And set right in front of the other person said, you this and you that. And we become historical. Which leads to hysterical. And we raise issues from the dead that Jesus has forgiven and forgotten for good. I want us to bury them today. I want you to picture something with me. Picture Jesus with his nail-scarred hand 
that hole in the hand where the spike went was on the cross and on the cross you were healed your relationships were healed it says he made peace through the blood of his cross right there that hand is held out to you and he's saying would you give me that offense that pain that hurt that memory that issue that you keep bringing up that keeps acting as a wedge between you and either your spouse or your child or your friend whatever it is it's there and I want you to picture something we're going to pray in a moment and we're going to place in his hand that issue then he's going to turn around behind him is the vast ocean the sea of forgetfulness he's going to hurl it behind him it's going to hit the sea of forgetfulness and forgiveness and it's going to drop like a dead weight never again can you go scuba diving and get it never again once we let him throw it in the sea of forgetfulness it's going to be gone for good you cannot bring it up again I don't know if I can do that Pastor Jeff it's a good weapon in a fight no we're going to get rid of it and we're going to give it to him and then we're going to say forgiven, forgotten, for good pray with me right now you know what it is take that issue take that hurt that offense picture with me now the hand of Jesus stretched out he's saying give it to me I died so that you could be free from it and place it in his hand somebody hurt you you've had a hard time getting over it I want you to place it in his hand now picture his hand closing over it the hand of the mighty savior is closing over it. Now picture him turning and he throws it into the vast sea. The horizon reaches as far as your eye can see. And it falls into the sea of God's forgiveness and forgetfulness. Now say with me, I release it. I forgive them. It's gone. I'm free. I will never bring it up again. God has buried it. Now say with me, forgiven, forgotten, for good. Now, Lord, I just thank you right now that 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 corpse, that enemy, that issue that was always being used as a breach. I thank you that it's healed today. And I pray that this series, these, all these passages and all these truths we've looked at for the home will change the homes in this church. That we will not have bad fights. That we will use the wisdom from your word that you gave us today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Can you give him a hand of praise today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.